0: Welcome to the Pilot Protection Services Podcast, where AOPA's legal and medical certification staff, along with leading industry voices, take on the challenges and developments that all pilots deal with, from staying out of trouble with the FAA, to becoming a better pilot, to staying healthy so you can stay in the left seat longer. Welcome to the Fly Well Podcast. I'm Dr. Jonathan Sack. And I'm proud to author the Flywell columns in AOPA Pilot Magazine as well as contributing to our online offerings. Today I'm joined by my good friend Gary Crump, Director of Medical Certification at AOPA, and today we're going to discuss the pilot's seat. No, not the leather or cloth chair you sit on in the cockpit, but the part of you that makes, well, contact with that item, your bottom. There are numerous conditions that afflict an airman's derriere, many of which cause discomfort, may threaten your ability to fly or threaten your ability to live. Problems down there cause not only physical but mental discomfort. But we need to get these issues out in the open, not your bottom, of course, so that people don't literally die of embarrassment. So first, Gary, welcome and tell us. What are some of the questions that you hear from pilots uh, about medical issues affecting uh, that particular part of the body? Thank you, Jonathan. It's good to be with you. Oddly enough, we don't
1: get that many calls in medical certification dealing specifically with posterior problems. For one thing, on the medical application, and particularly on the basic med exam application now, there is a reference to anal examination which is not required for basic med that's a little bit off track but uh that's really the most common question we get about that because either pilots don't experience the problem or they're just not comfortable talking about it but certainly uh hemorrhoids and polynatal cysts and anal fistulas that sort of thing are uh, certainly not uncommon problems probably among pilots who fly professionally but for our general aviation pilot that flies you know just occasionally for uh or maybe for business, they don't seem to be afflicted by that as much as perhaps some other uh, career pilots. Or possibly, and they're not reporting it, Gary, or talking about it. I uh, guess this is a point to, to make here that um, it's
0: critically important to report medical issues that you experience during uh, uh, the, the period of time between one uh, medical examination and the other. Yes, correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct.
1: That's one thing that the FAA really encourages because Contrary to a lot of pilots' opinions, uh, the FAA is really not out-to-ground pilots. Their uh, mandate and their responsibility is to maintain the safety of the national airspace, and they want to do that by keeping pilots healthy and keeping them flying. So, yeah, they always encourage pilots to be honest with their aviation medical examiners and uh, report those types of things to, uh, to the FAA on the medical application. And in that regard, uh, we're
0: perfectly aligned with FAA because that's exactly what we want. And you made a comment about not doing an anal exam. When I was uh, training, one of our teachers maintained that we had to do a PR or a per rectum, a digital rectal examination on every single patient because we would pick up uh, diseases. There's a whole bunch of diseases, including some that are life-threatening that can be detected uh, by um, an anal exam. So I make the point about not being embarrassed. Um, so maybe, again, that's that's just a central message to drill home. If you've got a problem down there, discuss it. Now, one of the things that all the conditions affecting that part of the body have in common uh, is diet. You know, Gary, Allen about you. If you spend time reading in the bathroom, I'm, I'm not going to inquire about your personal bathroom habits, But anyone who reads in the bathroom, that probably means they're not getting enough fibre in their diet, and they're having to spend too much time in there. And most anal ailments can be avoided by eating a healthy, fibre-rich, low-fat diet, enjoying relaxing breakfast, which leads to an inevitable bathroom visit, and keeping your weight in check. If you do all those things, maybe you can move on to my column in the latest AOPA pilot magazine. However, if you have any fears about your family, sit comfortably and read on, right? So, Gary, pruritus ani or itchy bottom, is is that, you know, is that any more common or you just, people don't talk about it? Is it, you think it doesn't happen or you think they're, um, they're just uh, too embarrassed? We don't hear that many comments about it, but I'll, I'll be the first to confess. I mean, it,
1: it's an annoyance when it happens to me. Fortunately, it's usually yeah. transient and uh, directly related to something that I can take, uh, take control of, but, you know, just as a personal perspective, but. No, most of the time pilots are calling us asking about their coronary stents or their cancer diagnosis, kidney stones, something like that. So, you you raise a good point about the relative significance that pilots attach to something like that. That is, you know, it's kind of a a social no-no to talk about those types of problems, and it does carry over to the to the pilot community because you know we are a bunch of egotists anyway, and so we don't like that
0: thing that that bothers us. yeah, it is a good point. Yeah, well, in fact, if you know, I talk to my general practice uh, colleagues and they will tell me that a very, very large chunk of patient patient visits are about these kind of problems. And In fact, itchy bottom or pruritus ani uh, is very often due to um, a dietary issue. So if, if someone starts developing that, keep a food diary uh, to help identify specific items that are causing um, flare-ups. Things like... Spices, tomatoes, caffeine, and citrus fruits are often culprits. And unfortunately, the more one scratches that particular itch, the longer it'll likely persist. Uh, if you do get the problem, avoid perfume soaps and pamper your nether regions with good quality tissues, but pat and don't rub. There's one condition to mention uh, that can cause really quite intense nocturnal uh, perianal itching, and that's a threadworm infestation. Now, this is more common in schoolchildren. But if, if, if a child gets it, they'll bring it home. And anyone they touch may ingest the eggs and uh, and get the, the same problem. It's a major, major pain in the derriere when it happens. But bear that in mind. So let's move on to hemorrhoids, uh, Gary. A hemorrhoid are very, very common. They are uh, distended veins around the anus. They're common in people who are not eating a high-fibre diet, and uh, also during pregnancy and certain other conditions such as cancers can cause them to develop. And you need to be investigated if you suddenly develop uh, hemorrhoids. Very often they can be taken care of by creams over the counter, but first we will see a doctor to make sure it's not something else lurking. But let's say that you do need surgery, Gary. Let's say an airman has required surgery for, for hemorrhoids, what what do they need to do from an aeromedical basis? Uh, really, just self-ground
1: until the treating physician and the pilot can agree that they are adequately recovered, and usually something like that, you're going to have a, a sore butt for a few days, but uh, it's really up to the pilot under the uh, self-certification and uh, medical deficiency regulation, FAR 6153. So if it requires surgery, obviously, you're going to be down for a few days after your surgery. And once you're, you can sit comfortably and you're off pain medications and not really having any problems, continue to operate on your current medical and just report it as a uh, other illness, disability, or surgery on the next MedExpress uh, medical application. Provide a quick note from the surgeon just indicating what was done, when it was done, and that the uh, patient has made a full recovery. And that's an office issue. That's not anything that's going to attract any,
0: uh, any scrutiny beyond the AME and certainly not the FAA. I think that many of the conditions that we'll discuss, Gary, this will be the, the route to follow. But I guess there's one other very important point, and I'd love your perspective on this. If you are sitting in an, in an aircraft and you're, you're focused on flying maybe through challenging weather at night or shooting a, a complex approach, and your, the tail end, not of your aircraft, but of yourself, is causing you some distress, you may not be utterly focused on the, the job at hand. So your comment about self-grounding strikes me as being really important, yes? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I'll bear my soul because it's happened to me more than once. Not necessarily a, a, an anal problem, but, you know, you've been on a long trip and you really need to empty your bladder in a big way i tell you, that kind of discomfort is most distracting. And fortunately, my few occurrences when that has happened, we were close to the airport and I was able to uh, make a decent-sized landing and then scurry off to the bathroom. But, yeah, any type of physical discomfort, whether, whether it's pain or whatever you call the need to, <laughs> to empty your bladder, those are aeromedical concerns. And just to vary off course just a little bit, urological issues, something we're not talking about right now, but it's the same type of thing. So a lot of times individuals who have to urinate Oh, that could be an aeromedical concern and certainly a medical concern that would warrant follow-up because it may be a, a prostate enlargement, it could be a bladder cancer or some type of uh, bladder infection. So uh, all, all things that, worth, uh, that are worth paying attention to. And in fact, your, your point about the prostate is well taken because if you've got an enlarged prostate and you have to push to pee, you might also have to push to poo and that can lead to uh, to hemorrhoids
0: as well. You know there's another condition down there, a uh, fissure and anode, which as a surgeon I know is supposed to be one of the most painful things you can experience. It's basically a tear in the very delicate skin down there and again not eating the right kind of diet and it merits medical attention, the same aeromedical approach that Gary's already referenced. It does bring me up to um, remind you to make one comment. You wouldn't have just anyone work on the undercarriage of your aircraft. well. If you're undercarriage need servicing, don't just go to anyone, go to someone who's got some expertise in that particular area. So there are other conditions that we could consider, like fistulinano, which is an, an abnormal connection between the inside of the bowel and the skin surrounding the anus. And you know, pretty much the same thing that Gary's referred to, but whilst it's present and causing discomfort, it probably shouldn't be flying an aeroplane. So there are a number of infections that can set up shock and cause skin breakdown in that area of the body, abscesses and such like. And as is so often the case in medicine, early medical intervention equates to better results. So put your uh, embarrassment aside and drop them. And Gary, as you and I both know, uh, abscesses can sometimes be the first sign of diabetes. Let's say you've got someone who develops uh, an abscess, they go into the hospital, the abscess is drained, and whilst they're there, they check their blood sugar, Well, they'll check their urine first, all the blood sugar, and they'll see it's elevated. What are they going to do now? They've got an elevated blood sugar. What, what's their responsibility from an aeromedical perspective? Well, obviously, the first thing is to get it
1: checked out. But if you have an elevated A1C versus an elevated fasting blood sugar, two different scenarios. But an A1C uh, does a better job of calculating your blood sugar over a period of time. And it is a better predictor of possible diabetes. So if on a routine uh, office visit or a routine wellness check, the blood uh, lab work includes an A1C that's elevated, certainly that's something that needs to be looked at because diabetes is a disease that's best treated early rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on a little bit, there's another condition that affects, you know, by the time people are in their
0: 50s, somewhere between 30 and Upwards, a percent of uh, Americans have this condition called diverticular disease, or diverticulosis, which is, again, due to having to use a little bit too much pressure to expel feces, and it causes little blowouts in the the wall of the the large bowel, the colon. If someone's been diagnosed with it, it, it often presents with abdominal pain, bloating, and changed bowel habit. If you've been diagnosed with diverticulosis, but don't need surgery, It's just going to be watched conservatively. It's pretty much uh, uh,
1: business as usual, isn't it, Um, as far as the cockpit is concerned, Gary? Absolutely. Uh, And again, just a little side trip for documentation purposes. Anytime you're going to be reporting something on a medical application that's new to the FAA, a good quick report from the treating physician explaining what's going on will go a long way toward helping your aviation medical examiner hopefully making a, a decision to issue the certificate to you in the office rather than deferring. So with diverticulosis, as long as it's mild, uh, either it doesn't require treatment or requires medications that the FAA allows, in uh, many cases those, those uh, will result in an office issuance as well the AME makes a notation of it and will forward your uh, report on to the FAA. But it, if it's well controlled and it's, you know they've got a handle on it, it's not going
0: to be a problem from a certification standpoint. Excellent. Now, Gary, this next topic, um, which will be our final topic, you and I have talked about a great deal. And as a, a men of a certain age, going and having your tailpipe inspected by means of a colonoscopy, placing a telescope effectively where the sun does not shine, and examining the inside of the colon is is a fantastic thing to do. Well, it's actually it's great fun to do. I used to love doing them. To have them, it's not as horrible as people think it is. You basically take some bowel preparation the night before, you get an injection, you go to sleep, you wake up and are told, hopefully, everything's fine,
1: come back in five years. But if they find a polyp inside, which is a pre-cancer, it can be removed there and then. and You don't have colon cancer, you have something that would have become a colon cancer. So let's explore that situation. Our pilot reports, they've had a screening colonoscopy, and we encourage everyone to do it. They have a screening colonoscopy. They find a polyp that's a pre-cancer, but it's not cancerous. What are they going to do? A good report from the gastroenterologist or whoever did the colonoscopy and a copy of the pathology report. The FAA likes to see those reports, even if the airman reports it as a routine colonoscopy, no pathology found. Not that the F.A. doesn't trust us, but the F.A. doesn't trust us. So they like to see the actual report from the pathology and uh, verifying that it's a precancerous. If it was uh, you know, basically they got the, down to the stalk and there's no evidence that it has spread into the poser or the substance of the colon, that's going to be an office issuance. In most cases, some AMEs may, may be a bit more conservative about that and not feel sure how to handle it. And in those cases, they would probably defer it. But as long as the documentation is there and uh, it shows that it was a pre-cancer call-up, uh, most AMAs are going to be comfortable issuing the certificate there at the time of the exam, uh, provided the, the applicant is otherwise qualified. So if we
0: look, put this into perspective, there are approximately 140,000 cases of colon cancer a year in the United States, the vast majority of which can be obviated by doing a screening colonoscopy. And even if you don't want to save your life, or avoid the aggravation of medical treatments if you don't have a colonoscopy and you develop colon cancer and you need to have a major operation. That's a completely different kettle of fish, isn't it,
1: Carrie, from an aeromedical perspective? You're oh, yeah. Going be, you're going to be seeing, you're going to be, you're, <laughs> the folks at Oklahoma City are going to be your best friends. Isn't that, isn't that true? Yeah, you're going to be pen pals with them for a while. Now, they've made some, really made some improvements in how they handle colon cancer over the last years because it used to require uh, special issuance, and it's still a special issuance in many cases, but it's an AME-assisted special issuance, which is an abbreviated process that allows uh, after the first submission, first time the records have to go into the FAA approval, and then if everything looks good and there's no evidence of metastatic disease, the AME or the FAA will issue a special issuance authorization that's an AME-assisted, which allows the AME to reissue subsequent medical certificates on an annual basis right in the office. Otherwise, the, the pilot would have to send his records to the FAA and then wait a uh, very long time before they get a response. But the AME-assisted special issuance allows the AME to issue it in the office provided the status reports look good and there's no evidence of uh, any recurrence of cancer. So it's a, it's a lot easier process than it used to be.
0: But again, the central learning is don't get cancer in the first place. So eat a high-fiber diet. And, you know, I want to first of all, Gary, thank you so much for joining me, your expertise in this field. I'm always in awe, and I'm so grateful to have your, uh, your wisdom and your friendship in this matter. And in wrapping up, I just want to say that as an Englishman, I, just like many people, I love Shakespeare, and I'm reminded of the title of one of his plays, All's well that ends well. So if we pun on that a little bit and say, all's well if your ends well. So change your diet, get those checkups, and everybody, fly well. Thanks for tuning in to the Pilot Protection Services podcast. We'll be back soon with more of your favorite topics and guests in general aviation. Pilot Protection Services is available only to AOPA members, and over 64,000 of those members choose to protect their certificates with PPS. It's a service we're proud to provide. Fly safe, and we'll see you soon.